0: In today's study, Dr. Missler begins his teaching on the book of 2 Kings, chapters 17 through 20.
1: Well, Father, we just thank you for the opportunity you've given us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit, Father. We pray that you would just take this time, open your word to our hearts, and open our lives to your word. Then all these things we might behold Jesus Christ. Help us to perceive the lessons that you have here for us as we just commit this hour and ourselves into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're in 2 Kings 6th session. We're try to cover chapters 17 through 20. 20 is a pretty short chapter, so it's pretty much the pace we've been going. Again, we've been uh, looking at the kings of both Israel and Israel, which went from bad to worse. We're going to see in this forthcoming chapter the end of the northern kingdom, and uh, southern kingdom has a few good kings. They go they go downhill too, but they do have a few kings. So we'll be looking at uh, in the reign of Hezekiah primarily in the southern kingdom, and uh, Pekah and Hosea, which is the last king of the northern kingdom before the Assyrian captivity comes in the, comes into its full. So uh, okay, in the twelfth year of Ahaz. The king of Judah began Hosea, the son of Elah, to reign in Samaria over Israel nine years. So again, the always referencing these kings with the reign of his, his, his uh, contemporaneous king in the other uh, in the other region. So we're focusing here on Hosea's, and his, his will of course be an evil reign. In fact, he's the last king of the northern kingdom, and uh, we're going to pick this. We're picking this up in the reign, in the year of Ahaz. And speaking of Hosea, he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel that were before him. Against him came up Shalmaneser, the king of Assyria, and Hosea became his servant, and he gave him presents. Now, um, I could get more into the chronology, but let us I think we'll just keep moving here. Um, It's interesting that the sins of Jeroboam I are not mentioned in connection with Hosea. He was a wicked king, but perhaps... As a result of the tumultuous times that he lived in, he did not promote the policies of Jeroboam. And uh, according to some Jewish traditions, that uh, he was allowed he allowed the Israelites to go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. And against him came Shalmaneser, the king of Assyria, and Hosea became his servant. And the king of Assyria found conspiracy in Hosea, for he had sent messengers to uh, so the king of Egypt, and brought uh, no present to the king of Assyria, for as he had done, as he had done year by year. Therefore, the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. In other words, he didn't pay his tribute. And uh, so, uh, Shamaneser recognized that there was a plan to revolt. So he marched on Israel, took uh, took uh, the king prisoner. Then he subdued the remaining territory of the northern kingdom: the Galilee, Transjordan, that is, the northern western portions of Israel. Uh, he also, he al- th- which had already fallen to uh, Tiglath Pileser. And he, uh, he went up to Samaria. Samaria, of course, was the uh, the city that Omri, remember, he built, the father of Ahab. And uh, Ahab built the palace there. It was one of the most beautiful spots in the land. Of course, now the king of Assyria has besieged it. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took uh, Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them in Hala and in Habor by the river of Gazim in the cities of the Medes. The word Medes is probably foreign to our ears. We think of them as the Kurds in in more modern uh, parlance here. But this is after two centuries. The northern kingdom now ceases to exist as a nation. And I might point out that uh, she had 20 kings. Seven of them were assassinated. And, of course, all were judged to be evil by God. And so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and feared other gods. So we're getting sort of a you know, editorial summary here. And I uh, walked in the statutes of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel, and of the kings of Israel, which they had made. And the children of Israel did secretly those things which were not right against the Lord their God, and they built them high places in all their cities, from the tower of the watchman to the fenced city." See, I want you to understand. It wasn't that Israel forsook the Lord completely. They just worshipped other gods in addition to, but that made them that disqualified them. And they compromised with their pagan neighbors and followed the practices of the very nations God had dispossessed because of their wickedness. And uh, they followed the apostate practices of their own kings, especially Jeroboam I. That was he introduced all this into the national life. And many of the sins they practiced secretly, of course, were still open to the Lord. That's the key point here, I guess. And they set up images and groves in every high hill under every green tree. And uh, so I think we don't have to badger that. I think we understand what it's talking about. And there there they burnt incense in all the high places, as did the heathen whom the Lord carried away before them. And they wrought wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. And they served idols whereof the Lord had said unto them, Ye shall not do this thing. Now again... God had put before them one prophet after another warning about all of this. And uh, Jonah, Amos, and and Hosea being the climactic ones here uh, near the end. Verse 13, Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets, And by all the seers, saying, Turn ye from your evil ways, and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers, which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Notwithstanding, they would not hear, but hardened their necks like the neck of their fathers that did not believe the Lord their God. So, every prophet warned the people of both kingdoms what would take place if they did not return to God. And... uh, the Israelites deliberately rejected the covenant of God that had been made with their ancestors, as well as God's decrees. Both the covenants and the decrees are just ignored to their peril, of course. And then they refuse to listen to the warnings. God, From God's point of view, God did all this for them through their history, warns them again and again and again. They continually break their commitments. They violate His decrees. He sends prophet after prophet after prophet to, and 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 constructs all these models, and they just refuse to listen, and they were as obstinate as their forefathers who lived in the divided before the divided kingdom came into existence, and so, uh, well, let's keep moving. They rejected his statutes and and his covenant that he made with their fathers, and his testimonies—three different things: his statutes, the Torah, the covenant that he made. And the testimonies which he testified against them, that the prophets, you repeated. And they followed vanity and became vain and went after the heathen that were round about them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do, be like them. It's very, very interesting. As Psalm 135 verses 15 to 18 should be in your notes. But basically what the scripture tells us, you will take on the characteristics of the idols that you put first in your life. If you worship the world, you'll become like the world. Is the world harsh, unforgiving, materialistic? Indeed. And if you worship the world, that's exactly what will happen. Take whatever God you're worshiping and understand what they're like, and you will become like them. That's another very critical reason you want to worship Jesus Christ, because that's what you want to become like. But uh, you will take on the characteristics of idols, and that's exactly what God was trying to protect them from. And they left all the commandments of the Lord their God and made them molten images, even to calves, and made a grove and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. So we have all these different forms of paganism that they embraced. And they went further. And they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire and used divination and enchantments and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke Him to anger. It's as if they're all going out of their way to get God angry. And look around us in our world, man. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel; He removed them out of His sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah only. It's a strange way to say it, because the tribe of Benjamin is so small; it's subsumed in the tribe of Judah, if you will. So is Simeon, for that matter. So, so Judah is 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 the primary tribe in in view here. It might mention that exile was one of the curses that God said He would bring on the nation if people disobeyed Him. That's in Deuteronomy twenty-eight. And Judah kept not the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel which they made. In other words, Judah should be taking a lesson from the northern neighbor, but they're just copying. And the Lord rejected all the seed of Israel, inflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of the spoilers until he had cast them out of his sight. He rent Israel from the house of David and made Jeroboam the son of Nabat king, and Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord, and made them sin a great sin, and the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did, and they departed not from them. So that's just the... It's... Uh, Till the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants, the prophets. So was Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. Because notice what the king of Assyria did. And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and from Kuthah and from Ava and from Hamath and from Sepharim and, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they possessed Samaria and dwelt in the cities thereof. Here's a very critical thing. The reasons all this is happening is because of flagrant idolatry, obstinate disobedience, star worship or whatever you want to call it, child sacrifice and occult practices. They were removed from the land permanently, and meanwhile, people from other lands within that kingdom, the Assyrian kingdom, were moved and planted in in that region. So there's a deliberate trans exchange and mixing, if you will, and this is the beginning of what we call Samaritans. Samaria was the capital of the Northern Kingdom, and. Uh, So this way, they possessed Samaria and dwelt in the cities thereof. So when it says cities, plural, Samaria is a city, but it's the capital. So when it speaks of Samaria, in that sense, it's speaking of the whole region and uh, dwelt in the cities thereof. And so it was at the beginning of their dwelling there that they feared not the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them which slew some of them. Strange passage, but uh, there it stands. So what the Assyrians are doing, by the way, is, is taking the leadership of all the towns and transporting them and bringing leadership from other places in there. And so this plants the roots, if you will, of what are later going to be called Samaritans in the New Testament. And so the Jews despise them because they're regarded as impure or half-Jews, not real Jews, because they commingled from all these other uh, tribes and stuff. Now, the, uh, uh, because they didn't worship the Lord, God sent the lions, is, is the, the thought here. And uh, because the reduced population, they multiplied more quickly, probably. God often uses wild animals as agents of judgment. We saw it in 1 Kings 13 and 1 Kings 20 and elsewhere. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Gather thither one of the priests whom he brought from thence, and let them go and dwell there, and let them teach them the manner of God in the land. The Assyrians interpreted these lions and all that stuff as, as, as a punishment from the God of Israel, whom they viewed as a deity that needed to be placated. So even the Assyrians saw a need to do this. But they didn't know how to appease him, uh, and so they reported that all this to their, to their king Sargon. And he responded by sending an Israelite priest back to Samaria from Assyria. He was supposed to teach the people how to worship God. They're, the Syrians are anxious for the locals not to be angering their God too. So, it, it, strange enough, they're, they're the instrument to get this priest there. It's in one of the priests whom they carried away from Syria came and dwelt in Bethel. Why would he live in Bethel. That would be the place where they're worshiping a calf. Is that where he came from? Then he's probably not the right kind of priest in the first place. Anyway, he taught them how they should fear the Lord. Howbeit every nation made gods of their own and put them in the houses of the high places which the Samaritans had made every nation in their cities wherein they dwelt. And the men of Babylon made uh, Sukkoth-Benoth, and the men of Cuth made Nergal, and the men of Hamath made, these are all names of, uh, of, of idols and, and, uh, uh, stuff that they're, they're, you know, fabricating pagan things, and Nergal was the Babylonian god of the underworld. And the exact identity of some of these others really not that certain because the records aren't that really that good. And the evites made uh, Niphas; these are all names of of these pagan um, idols. So they feared the Lord and made unto themselves of the lowest of them priests of high places, which sacrificed for them in the houses of the high places. See, the, the, the as as polytheists, the foreigners didn't hesitate to add. Yehovah to their own pantheon of gods, but they had no priestly cast, so they appointed all sorts of their own people to serve as priests. So obviously just getting huge confusion here. They feared the Lord and served their own gods after the manner of the nations from whom they, they carried away from thence, And unto this day they do after the former manners. They fear not the Lord, neither do they after their statutes, nor after their ordinance, nor after the law and the commandment which the Lord commanded the children of Jacob, which he named Israel. This whole passage from 2 Kings 17, from 24 to 33, shows how the Samaritans, in effect, came into being. They're obviously despised by the fully blooded Jews and so forth. Okay. With whom the Lord made a covenant and charged them, saying, Ye shall not fear other gods, nor bow themselves to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice. This is a throwback. What they this it's reminding them of what they were their original charge when they were brought out of Egypt. But the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt with great power and a stretched out arm, him shall ye fear, and him shall ye worship, and him shall ye do sacrifice. And to the day of the writing of this second Kings, the Samaritans maintained their ways. They didn't worship God in the, in the sense of the, not in the biblical sense at all. They didn't worship God from the heart in the ways he specified. But, uh, The statutes and the ordinances and the law and the commandment which he wrote to you, and there's a difference. The statutes and ordinances, law and commandment are all technical differences, I won't badger that. Which he wrote for you, ye shall observe to do forevermore, and ye shall not fear other gods. And the covenant which I have made with you, ye shall not forget, neither shall ye fear other gods. But the Lord your God, ye shall fear, and he shall deliver you out of the hand of all your enemies. Howbeit, they did not hearken. They did not... But they did after their former manner. So these nations feared the Lord and served their graven images, both their children and their children's children, as did their fathers, so do they to this day. And so we're now in uh, the rest of the book of Second Kings. Now the Northern Kingdom is history. So the rest of this is going to focus on the remains, which is the Southern Kingdom, right up to the time where they finally you know go into the Babylonian captivity. Second Kings eighteen. Not came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the king of Eli of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Hezekiah is a good guy. He's not as uh, thorough as he should be. He makes some mistakes, but the writer of First and Second Kings devotes more space and more commendation to Hezekiah than any other of, uh, of, uh, than any other king except Solomon. And it's not recorded not only here in 2 Kings, but also 2 Chronicles, and in about a four chapter segment, the so called historical section of Isaiah. So, and uh, 25 years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. Now, Ahaz's father, Hezekiah's father, is a bad dude. A very wicked king. But he had this wonderful son, Hezekiah. And so you can't help but conclude that uh, Abby, his mother, must have been a very, very fine mother and a godly woman. Now apparently uh, Hezekiah reigns as co-regent with his father for about 14 years. And it's the third year of Hosea was the year which Hezekiah is said to have begun reigning as co-regent with Ahaz. But he he reigned alone for 18 years. And then as co-regent with his son Manasseh for 11 years. So together these reigns add up to about 29 years. And if you're not confused by that, uh, you weren't listening. Uh, you really need to make a little chart if you really want to track all the chronology, but we'll move on. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David his father did. Whoopee! That, that's a great, that's a very positive report card. That's only four kings is that set of. It's set of Hezekiah, it's set of Asa, Jehoshaphat, Josiah, and Hezekiah. Uh, Asa, Jehoshaphat, I should re say Hezekiah, and then Josiah. Josiah will succeed... Um, he would be a, a, a grandson, if you will. Because Hezekiah is going to be followed by a bad guy, one of the worst, Manasseh. And it's his successor, Josiah, that is the good guy also. Then we get to this interesting verse, 4. He removed the high places. Finally, we got a king that will do that. Remove the high places. He break the images. He cut down the groves. He break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For in those days, the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. Here is a strange throwback that I think is very instructive. Uh, You may recall way back in uh, Numbers 21, there was this plague. And God told Moses to take a brass serpent, put it on a pole, put it up on the hill, and anyone that looked at the pole would be healed. Everybody else, I think a huge number died. And uh, you wonder, what a weird way if God's going to heal them, why does He do it that way? Well, God always does it for a purpose, and we have that explained to us by none other than Jesus himself in John 3. Because in John 3, verses 14 and 15, it says, But as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And it, that passage is followed by the most famous passage in Scripture, John 3, 16. What's interesting, that brazen serpent, Now, Numbers is a long time ago in the days of Moses, that brass serpent is still around as a fetish, as a thing being worshipped. And uh, uh, what what discover here is in the days here of Hezekiah, the children of Israel burned incense to it. See, that's the danger of these articles, whether it's the Shroud of Turin or some splinters of wood that are supposed to have come off the cross or whatever. Uh, they're more dangerous if they're real. If they're disproven, they become safe. I mean, you don't worry about it. But if it sounds like they're real, they're dangerous. Why? Because you start looking at the article rather than the, you look at the the article rather than the one that created it. And that's exactly what happened here. The, this brass serpent was still around, and people were starting to worship it. Well, Hezekiah did the right thing. He destroyed it. He destroyed it. Do you what a shock? It's a, it's an art treasure. It's an archaeological priceless thing. Yes, he wrecked it to keep people from worshiping it. He called it The Nahushtan is a Hebrew term that the, the word means. Um, it's the, it's, it sounds very similar to the word for a snake. It's a word that sounds for bronze, snake, or unclean thing. The hushtan, he labeled it. He, it's trash. He, he got rid of it. Why? Because he wants them to do what he did in verse 5. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel. So that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. So boy, Hezekiah is impressive. He's not perfect. He makes some mistakes. We see they make some doozies here, but he's a good guy. His heart's in the right place. That's the point. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. Praise God for Hezekiah. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. Oh boy. That's gutsy. Because the king of Assyria is really powerful. He just wiped out the northern kingdom. He smote the Philistines, even to Gaza, and the borders thereof, and from the tower of the watchman to the fenced city. And it came to pass, in the fourth year of the king of Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, the son Eli, the king of, of Israel, the of the king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And this is what's going on up north. At the end of three years, they took it, even in the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is, the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Israel, Samaria was taken. So here is Hezekiah showing some strength. The northern kingdom is, is, is being decimated. The king of Assyria did carry away Israel into Assyria and put them in Hela and Habor by the river of Gazim and in the c- cities of the Medes because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord their God but transgressed the covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded and would not hear them nor do them. Now in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah did Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, come up against all the cities of Judah. Boy, I'm giving, I'm, I'm, I'm denying you an awful lot of background here. I don't want to do too much. I, I don't want to. I spent a lot of time here. Um, the pre- Verse 12 was a summary statement of why Israel fell, because they were disobedient. But see, now Jerusalem is going to be sieged by Assyria, so it's going to sound like very much the similar kind of thing. And the, this following section is also recorded in Isaiah. Isaiah has, is sort of in three parts. The first big part, which is one of a of, of, uh, uh, um, call to obedience. The third part, which is the messianic part. And there's a little four-chapter historical section, 36 through 39 in there. And uh, the first two of those four chapters is parallel to what we're going to be seeing here. Now in the fourteenth year of the king of Hezekiah, did Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, come up against all the cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah, the king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria, to Lachish, saying, I have offended, return from me. That which thou puttest on me will I bear. And the king of Assyria appointed unto Hezekiah king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Now, just a little background. Sennacherib, his predecessor was Sargon II, who had continued to expand Assyrian territory and strengthen it in a lot of ways, and I'll spare you all the details. Sennacherib himself was a less capable ruler than his father. And um, during his first four years on the throne, he was occupied in, with uh, controlling Babylon, which is starting to be on the rise. It will sh- it'll eventually rise and take over everything, but that's still coming later, about a century later. So during this time, he, he formed an alliance with uh, Phoenicia and, and Philistia. That's on the coast, and uh, as well as Egypt, and also Judah joined in to re- all this. Too. So uh, it's certain that Sennacherib would. Uh, oh, shoot! Uh, 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 gotta back up here. While Sennacherib is trying to control Babylon, the coastal cities, uh, groups, the Philistia and, and, and uh, Phoenicia and Judah are aligning themselves to resist Assyria. That's what's upsetting Sennacherib. So he's going to try to put down this uprising as his father has, has done. His father was much more powerful. So now Hezekiah, in anticipation of him coming, starts to, has fortified Jerusalem. He's built his famous tunnel from the spring. Gihon Spring, underground to the Pool of Siloam, and then hid in the spring. You can go through that tunnel. We'll talk. It'll show up in this text here in like a few minutes. Um, on the way to Judah, the Assyrians had defeated the rebels in Phoenicia and several other members of the alliance. It started, it started to fall apart. And so uh, now he's going to attack Judah. And So Judah is in in trouble here. And so the, uh, he lays down the uh, tribute here. We're talking about 11 tons of silver and about a ton of gold is what we're talking about here. And uh Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house. And we're gonna find out that wasn't there was still a lot more. We'll discover it a little bit here. But anyway, at that time did Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah the king of Judah had overlaid, and gave it to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria sent Tartan and Rabsirus and Rebshechet to from Lachish to King Hezekiah with a great host against Jerusalem. This is going to be quite a scene coming up.
0: You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Dr. Chuck Musler, teaching through the book of 2 Kings. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1.